Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I'm joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, and I'm an eating, drinking, shitting, fucking Santa Claus. <laughs> See, you know, you could be, Jason, you could be, uh, so, yeah, you, you're Jewish, but you got the Santa look going, I think, you know, you could do it. And like the Santa in this film, I uh, don't tolerate all the nonsense from the kids. I love my kid, but the rest of them, eh. Yeah. Take it or leave it, you know? (laughs) So uh, in this season of Awesome Movie Year, we've been talking about the films of 2003. And we're talking about Santa-related things because in this season finale of our season on the films of 2003, we asked you, the audience, to pick among three Christmas-related films from this year, which was a weirdly monumental year for Christmas movies that went on to become kind of perennial holiday classics. The choices were Bad Santa, Elf, and Love Actually. And in a very close vote, we ended up with Bad Santa as the winner. Hotly contested, Josh. Fists were flying. I wish that the fans would have just kept it to words. Civil debate. But, you know, they uh, they they believe in their Christmas movies. Uh, a little too much. Uh, in fact, Josh, I'm gonna I'm gonna let him in on a secret. It was a tie between Bad Santa and Elf. But since we already did a Will Ferrell movie, we thought it's time for a Billy Bob movie. But hey, Bad Santa fans, you're in luck. Elf fans, wait till the holidays. We might have a little gifty for you. Yeah. Well, clearly, as opposed to last season, which was a huge blowout, and clearly uh, no one was interested in two of our three options. <laughs> There's obviously a lot of interest in all three of these movies, so we may get back to those other ones at some point in the future. But for now, we are talking about Bad Santa, the very foul-mouthed Christmas movie starring Billy Bob Thornton as the uh, department store Santa, who is actually a uh, safe cracker, a thief, if you will. And uh, this is uh, all three of these movies were successful at the time, and you know have continued on to be favorites at the holidays, and uh, that includes Bad Santa, which grossed $76.5 million on its budget of $23 million. So pretty good for a movie like this, too, which is not exactly... I mean, it's it was a, a wide release, but it's not necessarily a mainstream... It's not a feel-good Christmas movie. It's not Elf. I felt it's, good uh, watching it. Yeah, well, I... I, I did too. And I think that's uh, that's something that a lot of people, the target audience for this movie enjoyed it in that way. But it doesn't have the same broad demographic appeal as a lot of Christmas movies do or are meant to. But it was still quite successful. And maybe in part because of that, because everyone's used to a certain kind of Christmas movie and people were refreshed by this different, uh, dark, cynical take on Christmas. Yeah. And actually, it was nominated for a Golden Globe for Billy Bob Thornton for Best Actor, Musical or Comedy. So that was, uh, I had not expected such a prestigious honor for this film. They should all get acting nominations for this, Josh. And if I may kick the episode off with a quote from Bob Weinstein to just put us in the mood, the story goes like this. Uh, Universal had the movie and they passed on it and Bob, the lesser of the Weinstein criminals, (laughs) 
<laughs> asked them why they passed on it. And the exec at Universal said it's the most foul, disgusting, misogynistic, anti-Christmas, anti-children thing we could imagine. And that's why he decided to make it. Yeah, it's clearly it's for the people that it's for. You know, the the things that that people would see as negatives, the audience that embraces this would see all of that as positives. And you can see that uh, you can see that in the reviews, which were were largely positive. I feel like critics as a whole, and we've talked about uh, various uh, personality traits of film critics, they tend to be a bit curmudgeonly. They tend to be a bit uh, misanthropic. So it's not surprising that film critics overall embraced this movie, uh, maybe even more so than audiences. It, it got a B from CinemaScore, the audience polling service, which is not a great score, uh, even though that that sounds fine. But, you know, with CinemaScore, anything that's not hugely enthusiastic means that audiences were a bit disappointed. So I think some audiences maybe on opening weekend, which is when they do those polls, went in expecting, again, a certain kind of Christmas movie and got something that they didn't expect out of this. Um, Wait a second. Uh, then audiences are idiots, Josh, because, <laughs> because if that's what they... If they expected something else, the movie's called Bad Santa. And going in, it's not like it was like, hey, it's the feel good Christmas movie of the year. Like it's advertised as like the Christmas movie that nobody else is making. Right. It's the black comedy of Christmas, the anti Christmas, whatever. So then those people who watched it are dumb morons, Josh. And if any of you are listening right now, you can write in care of Josh and his Twitter and ask why I called you a dumb moron, which is what you are. Well, first of all, I'm just speculating on that. I don't know what people thought, but that's often what happens with cinema score is that lower cinema scores often mean that people just had the wrong expectations for the film. And, and I will say in defense of that idea, you're right, Jason, I'm sure it was marketed as this darker, this black comedy, but people may have been expecting something along the lines of like Scrooge, where you, yes, you have this character who's, foul mouth and who's misanthropic and who's drunk and whatever. But even with characters like that, you expect in a Christmas movie that by the end, this character is going to be redeemed and is going to love Christmas and love children. That's what we always expect, even from characters like this. And one of the good things about this movie, I think, is that's not what happens. But it doesn't surprise me that people would have thought that that would happen. I think he is redeemed at the end of this movie, Josh. I mean, to some degree, but again, not to the sort of extreme degree that I think people tend to expect from Christmas movies, where it's always this full embrace of everything Christmassy and wholesome and positive, no matter who the character is by the end of the movie. I'll agree with that, Josh. I'll Thank agree you. with you there. You're All not right. a, you're not a dumb idiot like those audience members, are you? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, I get Thank you, Jason. Uh, so Roger Ebert was a big fan of this movie. He said... Bad Santa is a demented, twisted, unreasonably funny work of comic kamikaze style, starring Billy Bob Thornton as Santa in a performance that's defiantly uncouth. His character is named Willie T. Soak. W.C. Fields would have liked that. He's a foul-mouthed, unkempt, drunken louse at the beginning of the movie and sticks to that theme all the way through. There are certain unwritten parameters governing mainstream American movies, and Bad Santa violates all of them. Movie critics have been accused of praising weirdo movies because we are bored by movies that seem the same. There is some justice in that. But I didn't like this movie merely because it was weird and different. 
I liked it because it makes no compromises and takes no prisoners. So he is kind of referring to that uh, idea there that you expect certain things out of Christmas movies or just about out of a mainstream comedy in general. And this movie doesn't give you what you might expect from the character. Yeah, I think that's fair. As someone currently writing a Christmas movie and having to play with those tropes, I would love it if I could just uh, (laughs) make my main character, you know, asshole McGee the whole way through. But, you know, you do have to redeem the character, like you're saying, and and that and definitely in ours, you know, the character. Oh, I do love Christmas and everything like that. So maybe I'm the dumb idiot of the group. Jason is a sellout. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully pay me for it. People. Right. Yeah. You're going to sell up like that. Uh. Metallica quote or whatever. Are we sellouts? We, yeah, we sell out every night. All the tickets. <laughs> That's so. right. That's right. So if there's a bar that has like 30 seats, then I, I could sell that out. All right. <laughs> Stephanie Zakarik in Salon said, if your children are over 40, it's probably safe to take them to see Bad Santa. But I leave that to your discretion. I will say, though, that I found the escalating disreputability of Bad Santa completely cathartic. After 90-odd minutes of salacious gross-out jokes and unapologetically bad behavior, I left the theater feeling cleaner, more virtuous, and more filled with love for my fellow human beings than I did after that overcooked heartwarmer love actually. Bad taste is better than no taste, as style empress Diana Vreeland said, and Bad Santa spreads it freely and honestly, like fertilizer. So I wanted that because that's, you know, talking uh, trash, talking about our other potential choice for this episode, which, of course, was out in theaters around the same time. You know, these were all three of these movies. Of course, they're Christmas movies, so they're going to be out at Christmas time and people are seeing them at the same time. Yeah, but you're right, man. All three of them have uh, exceeded uh, the expected lifeline for these right they're all like right you watch them you can watch all these every christmas i'm also glad that you have a woman reviewer uh quoted here who really loved it because in that you know uh kind of quote i gave to you earlier from the universal executive via bob weinstein um Uh, you know noted feminist bob weinstein (laughs) (laughs) if anyone should be talking about yeah. <laughs> okay. Fair. But the universal guy said that it was misogynistic and I thought that was not true. I think it's, uh, it's anti-human as a whole, right? It's not just, uh, like against women, it's against women, men, children, old people, young people. So I thought that was a little, uh, a little, you know, easy characterization. And I think this reviewer proves that incorrect. Yeah, I think, I mean, you could argue that the female characters, of which there are very few in this movie, are underdeveloped. You know, I mean, Lauren Graham's character doesn't really have much of a arc or anything like that. But I don't think it treats her poorly. It just kind of, she's not a very important character. She serves a purpose. And ditto the Lauren Tom character, who's the, the girlfriend or wife of Tony Cox's character. But yeah, to to call it misogynistic, I think is a, is a, is a stretch. You're right; it's more just just misanthropic. Yeah, I agree that um, they're underdeveloped, but they're really kind of supporting players, helping the the main players along. I guess that's not really an excuse, but 
you know, I could argue that the supporting men are also underdeveloped, I guess, you know? Right, right. I mean, we really just have Willie as a character who has more than, you know, the one dimension and maybe a bit for Marcus, Tony Cox's character. And but... Thurman Merman, one of the great names of all time. Thurman, yes, the kid who befriends Willie yeah. uh, forcefully. So Who right. also has similar hair to dumb idiot producer David Rosen. <laughs> I was waiting yes, for that. I feel like that's a bit of a stretch there, <laughs> but uh, you got to bring it up every two episodes or whatever. So I'll allow it. I already did, Josh. Let's move yeah. on. So not every critic liked it. And I feel like this is also the kind of movie that the people who liked it loved it, as we see Roger Ebert and Stephanie Zaharik both were really, really big fans of it. And the people who don't like it really don't like it. So uh, Owen Gleiberman in Entertainment Weekly gave this movie a D and said, there used to be a distinction between tepid, flavorless mainstream comedy and the bilious black humor that bubbled up from underground. But if the rancid, one-note bad Santa, inexplicably directed by Terry Zweigoff, is any evidence, that distinction has become meaningless. Heartless outrage is just another spoke in the entertainment product wheel. The movie could have been funny if it had used Billy Bob Thornton's garbage-tongued bum to spit at the excesses of the consumer culture Christmas. But Bad Santa, which might just as well have starred Andrew Dice Clay, isn't up to much of anything besides pretending that swear words and snot-nosed insults served up by Santa with an almost institutional monotony aren't just naughty. And I mean, I can see calling this movie one note because it clearly... You know, it has its its main joke, which is that what if Santa was bad? <laughs> That's why he's a professional writer, ladies and gentlemen. Right. But I mean, it, it is, you know, you can see this movie being pitched in a single line because it's a very basic concept. But I think within that, there's there's a lot of variations on the humor and there's a lot of funny stuff. But I can see this as a movie that if you watched like the first scene with Billy Bob Thornton, and where he's doing the voiceover about all the things that have, you know, he's dealt with in his life, but nothing's as bad as being Santa or whatever. And he's swearing and he's being a grump, uh, to put it mildly or whatever. If you watch that scene and you think, oh, this is awful. You're not, there's nothing that the movie is then going to offer you that will turn your opinion around. I think. Yeah, you're right on that. Um, I, I mean, when he's like, it's one note, I'm like, but what a lovely note it is, you know? Right. <laughs> and the swearing is funny. Because of the execution of it. It's not that he says the words, it's the emotion behind the words. And Billy Bob is so awesome in this, you know, like I'm trying to, you know, I was looking at his filmography today and it's like, man, you forget Sling Blade, A Simple Plan, you know, like he had a run of really, really great performances. And now, um, you know, not as much, although it seems like he's kind of on the comeback trail lately a little bit. But um yeah, I don't know. I just think I just think it's, you know, if you're going to go, you have to go all the way in on the concept, which they do. Right. And if if the lead actor was like trying to be more likable, it wouldn't work. Right. I, I think you're right. And I know, Jason, you always like to look at alternate casting. And I think there were some other options here. But but Billy Bob Thornton is perfect for this role. And in part because maybe you wouldn't have expected him to play this role at the time. Um, he hadn't done this kind of thing so much, I think, uh, even though he eventually after this, because I think this was a huge success, he played a number of roles that were similar. Right. Um, Lesser memorable roles, you know, school for scoundrels or whatever. It was, right, so. right, right. But at the time, this was a different kind of thing. 
And I think if it had starred like Andrew Dice Clay, who, to be fair, is actually a pretty good actor. Yeah, I but, agree. Um, but is someone that you expect to see swearing and being uh, sort of misanthropic and, and, you know, saying things for shock value, it, it wouldn't have been as effective because it would just have been a little more of that. Oh, this is one. No, this is the thing that this guy does. And he's just doing it in a Santa suit. Yeah. Also, I don't think it's done for shock value. I think this is the character, right? He's extremely blunt. You know, the backstory that we do get of, you know, when I was a kid, if I got beat up and went home and told my father, you know what he would do, beat me up more, you know, like it's kind of we've set up this character and this is just how he talks. And uh, the writers of this, Glenn Fikara and John Requa, right? Yeah. Um, they were originally, you know, it was the Coen brothers idea and the idea was they, they commissioned them to write it. And they were supposed to be writing it, as you said. Uh, for James Gandolfini, who which would which would have been uh, pretty excellent, I think you know. Yeah, that could have been something, and a different a different a departure for him as well if he had done it. Yeah, so they wrote it like with like a real New York attitude, right? And then when Billy Bob took it, he kind of has this totally different way of speaking, this like Southern slower twang and drawl, but he's using like all those you know the words of what would have been a New York quote unquote bad Santa, right? So. In the end, that juxtaposition really worked. And uh, I think in the next segment, Josh, we might be able to go over some more alternate casting because I wrote them all down, but we don't we don't have to do that right now. Yeah, that's we'll definitely get to that uh, in a little bit. But uh, so, Jason, I, I'm assuming you had seen this movie before. I mean, it was a big hit in, in 2003, so I imagine you saw it then. Yeah, I, think, I don't know if I saw it at a screening with you, but I definitely saw it in the theater. and. It's uh, delightfully hilarious to me. Like, I laughed a lot. I loved it then, and I've seen it since, and I loved it. And then I haven't watched it in a long time, and I really liked it again this time. And it's a quick, breezy 90 minutes of fucking kids. Like, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing, kid? Why are you freaking me out? You know, like, it's wonderful. Uh, yeah, I think I did see it in, in 2003. I don't remember if it was at a press screening or at some other just regular show or whatever, but I, I really liked it at the time. I think it's diminished a bit, uh, over time in part because I don't know, it, it doesn't feel as fresh as it did then. Not I feel the like, fault of the film. No, but, but at the same time, I think I, I, I watched it again, uh, five years ago or whatever, when bad Santa two came out. And I remember thinking, oh, this was, it was entertaining, but it wasn't nearly as great as I thought it was the first time. And then watching it again this time, I think I was like, probably around the same thought, even maybe a little less, like I didn't laugh as much. And then some of the humor hasn't aged as well. I still do enjoy it. And I think it still is unique and refreshing, even though we've seen maybe more of these kinds of cynical comedies or being cynical about Christmas since then. But I, I definitely don't have the same enthusiasm for it now that I did when it first came out. Yeah. And it's tough to maintain that, Josh. But, you know, <laughs> it is tough to maintain enthusiasm really about life as you get older. Passes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe one day I'll walk, you know, walk over to see you and you'll be in the garage with the 
engine on in the car. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you. <laughs> it's a reference to the film, Josh. It is, and I can hand you a note about all yeah. my crimes. Not you only can... your impending suicide, but also an homage to the film. So. Yeah, that's what, you know, if I was going to commit suicide, I would do it in a film homage, because that's, you know, that's just who I am. <laughs> well, the best part is you own a hybrid, so it would take you a really long time. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it would work at all. <laughs> but uh, anyway, let's not uh, talk about that. So, Dave, did you see this movie when it came out? I actually did not. No. How did you miss that? This seems like totally right up the your kind alley, movie, man. Yeah, I that, know. Like, young drunk Dave would have gone to see. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, there was something about it. Like, well, first of all, I missed the opening weekend, and then I missed the next week, and I missed the next week, and one thing led to another. I just never got to it. Oh, I don't know, yeah. but it just it. I remember not thinking it looked that good. Like I thought it seemed too kind of try hard you know what i mean like like oh we get it we get it it's a it's a cursing drunk santa i get it it it's funny i'm sure you know so but when I did just, you see it the first you know, time j just the other day amazing wow that's cool <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's cool so. i feel like that that is cool but on the other hand you know again you this is another thing that like it, right yeah. yeah this is the wrong yeah. time to now see bad santa for the first time yeah in april well, <laughs> that too. The, yes yeah. but dave you, you had seen elf and love actually Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. You saw the wholesome Christmas movies, but not the yeah. disreputable one. Well, Josh, I'm glad we, it took us a full segment, but we learned who the real dumb idiot of the group is. I, guess I could take it. <laughs> Dave. Insults all around, which uh, is really appropriate for the theme yes. with this episode. Yeah, um, it's nothing personal. I'm just getting, you know, I'm enjoying the spirit of the, the film. It's Yes, it's the spirit of Christmas yeah, of oh, Bad yeah. Santa. So, Jason, do you want to mention any other background info on this? Josh, as you know, in uh, 1996, in our foreign film, we talked about Kolya, a Czech film. And when this played in the Czech Republic, it was translated as the title, not as Bad Santa, but as Santa is a pervert. <laughs> I mean, also, an I, I would have seen that movie. Assessment of what this movie is about. Something tells me this is not the first film that you could rent where Santa is a pervert. <laughs> yeah, the Lauren Graham character would have had a lot of options to indulge her, her fetish in, uh, in real life. So uh, we'll come back then in a moment and talk about our general thoughts on Bad Santa. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 2003, we are talking about our audience choice poll winner, Bad Santa, the Christmas movie that you chose for us to talk about. And thank you for doing it. Because I, I don't know, was, which one were we leaning toward? Uh, you know, now that we've done it, we can uh, reveal our biases. Which, which one did you hope for us to talk about, Jason? I wanted Bad Santa all the way. All right. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I wasn't like I've seen Elf many times because it's a, a sort of a family favorite with my family. We always end up watching it at Christmas time. But I haven't seen Love Actually probably since 2003. So that would have been an interesting one, I think, to revisit. But uh, this was fun as well. And uh, as we say, certainly uh, not your typical Christmas movie. But it does offer a sort of redemption for the character. I don't know if we want to start at the end, but did you feel like the character arc for Willie uh, was convincing? Did it work for you? It worked for me. But honestly, if it hadn't been there, that wouldn't have bothered me at all. This is like that, you know, it's it's somewhat bullshit, Josh, because it's like, oh, we're going to make the anti-Christmas movie and it's going to it's bad Santa. 
But in the end, we'll give him enough redemption where he's not as bad Santa, right? You know, and it's like, you know, he could still be bad Santa. He could have been worse Santa at the end, and I would have been fine with it. But no, I mean, you know, there's definitely you root for him in the redemption with him. And But I think a lot of that has to do with the performances more than the writing with uh, Billy Bob, who is uh, such a dick in this film that it's <laughs> you, like you said, you either like him or hate him right away. And we're, as opposed to Thurman Merman, who is so just, you want to just hug the boy and tell him everything's going to be all right. You know, that, uh, that I think his performance goes a long way to you wanting, uh, Billy Bob to, you know, kind of, uh, be a little nicer to him. Yeah. And I do think, I mean, I think you need some kind of arc that it doesn't necessarily have to be redemption, but I feel like if it's just the character is exactly the same from beginning to end then it does turn into more of that this is really one note and the one note is getting old. That some progression of some kind needs to happen in the movie. And so I think this is just enough where you feel like we have gotten somewhere as the movie has gone on. Um, but at the same time, it isn't Scrooged or it isn't you know the vast majority of Christmas movies where we start out with some terrible person who hates Christmas, who by the end is, is loves Christmas and loves everyone. You can see that, you know, maybe by the end, he kind of likes Thurman Merman, um, but he doesn't like anybody else and he doesn't like Christmas and he even still is semi-insulting to Thurman. So I thought it was the right amount of redemption for this character. I think he likes Sue by the end. No, his girlfriend. The, oh, the girlfriend. That's true. Yeah, the Lauren Graham's character. You're right. Well, he liked her from the start, too, I think. Yeah, but it seems like, but at the start, it was just sex. And then it seemed like, you know, at the end, they were decorating for Christmas together. Like there was a more of an emotional thing, you know? Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. And that is one of the things that's kind of underdeveloped. And Lauren Graham is a good actor. I always like her. And I think that's a fun character. And the idea that she's just so unapologetic about being hot for Santa. And that's just what she that's what she wants. I mean, it's just the sex for her, too. At the beginning, she just yeah. wants to fuck Santa. Um but yeah, there's there's not a lot more to that. Whereas with his relationship with Thurman, you do get a sort of a sense of that kid as a character and how, you know, maybe he uses this like naive personality to mask the sadness that he has about his dad being in prison and his mom being gone and his, you know, grandma being uh, completely out of it and him being just kind of discarded by everyone in his life. Um, you know, there's a bit more of a... a extra dimension to that character I think. and he does give him confidence he helps him with his confidence even in a uh, unorthodox way shall we say right josh you mentioned that sequence and it's such a funny sequence of where uh willie and sue meet where she's the bartender and that's where i that's the quote that i you know used at the beginning you know the uh i'm an eating drinking shitting fucking Santa Claus and she just goes prove it and then you cut yeah. to them and they're in the car and she's like fuck me Santa fuck me Santa and they're you know they're having sex and that's funny and then he le then she leaves and then the dude who was bean mugging him in the bar just like goes up to the tax him and he's just like you know uh you know uh, they're questioning each other's sexuality which of course does not age well right yeah that whole scene with the guy from the bar I thought was not funny and just completely random and out of place. So I thought, that was one of the worst moments of the movie. So I to thought. me, I remember really thinking it was funny because it was so out of place. But now I get it in that it like kind of 
is, uh, and not to say they couldn't have done it away, but it's a motor to have Thurman, you know, say, leave Santa alone. And then it gets him to drive him home and blah, blah, blah. But I mean, I, I, I agree. I really liked that one the first time I saw it, but you know, now maybe it's just the idea of like the, you know, it's, it's, it hasn't aged well. Well, right. I mean, it hasn't aged well because it's, it's sort of these weird, like semi-homophobic jokes and it's about the guy's race. But also I'm like, I don't understand what the joke is here. Exactly. Like, is it that this guy is closeted and is sort of trying to overcompensate by attacking someone that he thinks is uh, going to hit on him or I, I, I don't know. And then, and, and, and Willie, uh, you know, says something about how, uh, my brother or somebody wow. bought you or your people in Vietnam. And is the joke that this is obviously not uh, an Asian or Vietnamese person. And so Willie doesn't understand that. Or I just didn't understand, like, to me, it wasn't funny because it, it just didn't have a perspective. So as opposed to almost everything else in this movie, which is very, like comes from a clear place, uh, the humor does. Dave, what about you? What did you think of that as a first time watcher? Yeah, that scene was not very funny, it, but but it was it was almost kind of funny in how outlandish it was. Just that's that, what I'm saying. It, yeah, I, I could see that, Jason, definitely. But it, as far as how it plays, though, it definitely doesn't fit in with anything happening in the movie. Yeah, and I think, Jason, you were saying earlier how you feel like this movie isn't just going for shock value, and I think you're largely right. But to me, that scene is maybe one, the one moment or one of the few moments where it feels like they are just going for shock value without any consideration for like, why is this in the movie? Yeah. Well, like I said, it's a driver to get Thurman and Willie together and to get Thurman uh, home and Willie to his house, you know? I mean, you could easily just have had Thurman be there right away or something. I mean, there's, there's many other ways that you could have done that. Well, I said that too, Josh. Yeah. Yeah, well, I heard you're you right. said that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Right. Well, let's talk about it. I mean, it you can way. say it again if you want. But. I'm agree- I, I agree with you. I think you are you are right about well, that. And uh, I agree with you agreeing it, with you. I mean, it, it, it harms your defense of the scene is what I'm saying, is that, you know, that it's not necessary. Thurman Merman needs to show up right now and stop you guys from fighting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But Josh, <laughs> if I just talk loud and not let you get a word in, that means I win the argument, right? All right, yeah, you can win. Let's 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 I'm move not, on. I'm, that was a joke, Josh. Yes, I understand. <laughs> let's talk about Tony Cox and how great he is in this movie. Yes, and how uh, underappreciated he appears to be. Yes, Tony Cox, uh, who plays Marcus, the dwarf, who is you know really running the scheme on robbing the department stores, and he is wonder. You know, I keep using the word wonderful, but he's really good because he really you know goes all in on being like the happy elf in front of the kids and the good employee. And he despises uh, Willie so much. And uh, he's he, he just doesn't put up with him. And the one time they do get away with the robbery, you see them in a bar and um, they're slow dancing together. But because Marcus is a dwarf, Billy, uh, Willie's holding him up. Like, so they're face to face. And Marcus has such a look of glee and amazement on his face. It's 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 really an excellent performance, as you're alluding to. Yeah, it is. I mean, and there's there's definitely a lot of jokes here about him being a little person. But I feel like it's not I'm sure actors like this. And we talked about this with Peter Dinklage in The Station Agent, that actors, little person actors are are stuck playing those kinds of roles almost exclusively. 
and Dinklage has broken out and Tony Cox hasn't really been able to do that. But I feel like this is a role where it offers him a lot more than just that. And in a weird way, like the station agent, it's a role where the character, it, 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 it you know, kind of examines the frustrations of going through life being treated this way, um, you know, in a much less serious manner. But I, I think it's respectful of him as a character. And there's more to him than that. And like you said, he's clearly the mastermind of these schemes. He's the one who's actually got his act together and is making these plans and is telling Willie what to do. And he's also very insightful as much as he maybe despises Willie. He knows him really well and is insightful about his character and, you know, his his sort of self-hatred. So uh, and is funny to boot. I mean, this is obviously a it's a comedy. Everyone has to be funny in it. And I think he is. So uh you know, Billy Bob is is uh, famous and is a big personality and is what people remember from this movie. But it wouldn't work if Tony Cox weren't just as good. Yeah. And Josh, it's I agree with you. And like I, I was almost going to make the same point is like Billy Bob is a commanding presence. So yeah. he needs someone who can go toe to toe with him. And Tony Cox really does. And on top of that, like what you're talking about, um, about utilizing like, I mean, he's a dwarf. He is a dwarf, right? So it would make sense for him to play an elf, one. And two, he uses his size to his advantage in many of these schemes, right? Right. So I don't think there's anything wrong with acknowledging the truth of what a person is physically, you know, as long as, you know, they're not punching down at it, you know, so. Right. I think there's maybe, but I mean, you could argue that if there are jokes at his expense, it's the, not the movie punching down, it's other characters who are, you know, we're laughing at because they don't, you know, they're they're treating him poorly and, and you know, they don't give him the respect that we know that he deserves. Yeah, what's interesting, here's something, and I read this, Josh, I read a whole, uh, an article by Bruce Fretz in the New York Times, which was an oral history of Bad Santa, and it was oh, great. Nice. And this was the craziest thing, right? When we talk about alternative casting, Tony Cox was not the original choice. I think they wanted to go to Danny Woodbury, who was um, Mickey from Seinfeld, who's also great, you know? Right, yeah, he's very funny on Seinfeld. Yeah. And uh, that's a good role for for uh, a little person actor. Right, and they said they read everybody for this, including Mickey Rooney. Talk about an, an odd juxtaposition for Bad Santa, right? Oh, my God. But Tony Cox was uh, just knocked it out of the park, right? And they said, um, you know, the Coens who came up with the idea and exec produced it, they said the Coen brothers said they hated Tony Cox's performance. And Zweigoff and Billy Bob went to bat for him to get the role. But when Zweigoff um, auditioned him, he said, you know, he said it was, you know, we were hilarious. That was such a good audition. But he said that uh, he had to tell Tony Cox he doesn't know if he's going to get it. Not because of that, but because the role wasn't written for an African-American. Oh, How crazy God. is that? Yeah, wow. it's a double discrimination going on. Yeah. There. Like, I don't, I don't think any of race, in, especially in that role, is so irrelevant. He's so good, you know, that, um, you know, a, the race, no matter what it is, doesn't really, uh, like, it doesn't... In, it's not involved in the story in any way. So I don't know why that would come up is what I'm saying. Right. And the one time it actually is involved in the scene where they're going to get fired by John Ritter's character, the manager. And, you know, they talk him out of it by threatening him with a discrimination lawsuit. The fact that the elf is is African-American, in addition to being a little person, yeah. is what kind of adds that. 
And so it actually adds to the humor in that one scene, which is really the only time it ever is uh, comes up. So, uh, yeah, sad to think that the the Coens, you know, who we love, would have uh, played a part in 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 such uh, an unfortunate well, perspective. Well, yeah, but I don't think I'm not necessarily saying the the Coens were like, well, it wasn't written for an African American. I'm saying that that that's how the story is related. That the role was not specifically written for an African American, and this is still in the early 2000s and that's how you know thankfully we're really starting to get away from that in casting now where we're just casting people based on abilities and a lot more diversity right but it is weird to me to think that the cohen's watched the audition and said they hated the performance because he's just he just nails it yeah he i mean and hopefully if they you know eventually saw the movie they appreciated his performance that, that realized it was the right choice because yeah, because he's great. He's great in this movie. Um, and, and he's so good. Like, I could see him being in a Coen Brothers movie, the movie that they direct, and being really good in it. Like, I think he would work well with them. Yeah, he hasn't done as much lately, and you do want to see more Tony Cox on the screen. Yeah, he really, uh, you know, unfortunately, this didn't springboard him the way the station agent did for Peter Dinklage, for example. But yeah, he's really good. And it's, you know, it's about the two of them and and Brett Kelly, who plays Thurman Merman. I mean, the three, those are the three most fully realized characters here, the ones who carry most of the humor. And uh, Brett Kelly, you know, a kid actor, that's tough to go. You know, we're, you're, as you're saying, Billy Bob is a big presence. And for this little kid to to go toe to toe with him. And, you know, Thurman is this kind of soft spoken, I guess, or, you know, he doesn't have as many lines or whatever. But Every time he speaks, it's it's funny, and he has the right dynamic with with Billy Bob. He's kind of, I mean, he's one interesting physically to look at because he's a he's a big boy, right? And they <laughs> yeah. give him very tight clothing and flip flops, which is genius, you know. And then he's got that curly hair, so like you know, he's not your typical kid actor, right? And he is just so sweet you're rooting for him and he's so excited by santa claus every time you know that uh you just love him but um yeah i don't know i think they cast it right i mean you know those are the three who are the main characters and i think they did well and like you said lauren graham makes the most of her time and cloris leachman who plays grandma is gonna make anything funny that you ever give her you know so yeah, she's really underused i mean we talked about her last season in uh, high anxiety and she's so funny and they don't, I think she has the same, she just says she's going to make sandwiches like three times yeah, in this movie. And that's, that's every line that they give her. So, you know, she's definitely underused. Um, and I think I, I forgot that it was her. And when she showed up this time, I was like, oh, she's going to do something funny because it's Cloris Leachman. And no, never happened. Mm. So that was a bit disappointing. All right. And yeah, I mean, I do think some of the lines, again, just are, some of the jokes are just aren't as funny to me anymore. But, but I still laughed and. Bernie Mac, also really good. The, the scene uh, with Bernie Mac as the uh, the sort of store detective where he negotiates, he's figured out their scheme and he's negotiating to, to get half of, uh, of their take and uh, just won't budge on his, uh, you know, he's not negotiating. Tony Cox is, Marcus is trying to negotiate and he's failing. And just the way he keeps saying half, like in different inflections or whatever, which I'm sure was just an improvised thing that Bernie Mac did. Is very funny, and that's just a great scene. Well, it is, but it's not even my favorite Bernie Mac scene in the movie, Josh, because the okay. scene with him and John Ritter 
as Bob Chepesco, was it, or whatever? Yeah, uh, I think so, the manager. Yeah, who was always walking on eggshells around everything and um, where kind of where he tells, where Bernie Mac's character tells John Ritter's character, like, uh, he did the background, you know, check on him. They're clean. Yeah, he's foul mouth, but there's nothing to him. But And everything he says, John Ritter's like, no, 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 you know, and he doesn't really have much to say. But just the way his inflections are of disappointment and hope and more disappointment, like, I, these guys both did great in this, you know? Yeah, yeah, they they were good together and, uh, you know, both sadly gone too soon. And this was actually, I think this was, if it wasn't John, John Ritter's, Ritter's last role, yeah, because yeah. I mean, a lot of all the reviews I read mentioned, it, you know, the late John Ritter. So he definitely he passed away before this movie came out. So and I, you know, not a bad way to go. Uh, not a bad role to go out on. Yeah, you just wish that he had more. Well, right. Of course. Yeah. You wish that he would have continued. But, you know, to to have for this as a last role is a it was a good part for him. So, Josh, here's the alternate casting. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Beep, 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 beep. So. We already we already mentioned uh, for you know the uh, the Marcus character for Thurman Merman the Coens wanted Angus T Jones Angus T Jones yes uh, I mean I'm sure that show was popular at the time so okay yeah but he's not he doesn't have the personality that you know that Brett Riley brought to the thing so Brett yeah. Kelly yeah who's Brett Riley I I don't know. But no. he's not in this movie. Well, um, and I don't think yeah, he was think, considered. Right. No, I, but I think one other thing, too, is that, that that show was so popular that it would have been like, oh, it's the kid from Two and a yeah, Half Men. And, right. and you don't want that. You want a kid that you haven't ever seen before. Yeah, right. And maybe it was like, oh, he can be above the line. All right. Here are all the names I read besides Gondolfini for the part. Bill Murray was attached at some point. Of course. Obviously. We yeah. love Bill Murray and everything. And you mentioned Scrooge. That is one of my all-time favorite Christmas movies. Jack Nicholson wanted to do it. I think that would have been good. Uh, I don't know. You know, he did anger management, like kind of like that character, I guess, right? Oh, yeah. But uh, De Niro, of course, you know, he's another one who's always now doing these things. And then we're going to get to the interesting ones uh, that are a little more unexpected. Sean Penn. Yeah. (laughs) He's an angry Santa. Nicolas Cage. Nicholas Cage would, but I, you know, he would have just then it would have just become like Nicholas Cage Santa. Yeah, yeah. But I thought Sean Penn was an interesting one. Larry yeah. David, that would have been something. I feel like I was he was Larry David as as well known. When did Curb Your Enthusiasm start? It might have been around this time. Dave, okay. you want to look up when Curb Your Enthusiasm started? Yeah. And Dennis Leary. Ugh. Well, I mean, we talked about the ref in a you know in one of our Christmas episodes before. And but I feel like Dennis Leary, especially uh, well, maybe I don't know if because the ref was from '94, which was sort of the height of Dennis Leary's Dennis Leariness. But I feel like you know, in a weird way, like Nicolas Cage, if you cast Dennis Leary, then it just becomes the Dennis Leary Santa. I don't think so. I think like you're saying, he was past that by this point, and he would have gone in the character. But you uh, know, Curb started in 2000, by the way. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I guess his persona was pretty established. Uh, and then the most interesting ones to me were Gandolfini, obviously Bill Murray, and then Sean Penn. Yeah, I mean, those are good actors, but I, I feel like this was the right choice. That the the movie works because they went with Billy Bob, and I don't know if it would have worked as well with any of those others. Yeah, so. I am a hundred percent with you on that, Josh. Uh, two other actors that I wanted to mention. Um, because we did old school, and I noticed that Brian Callen, uh, you know, the comedian, really 
made the most of his scene in old school, you know, where he was like kind of the waiter in the Greek diner. And I oh, thought yeah. I thought he did the exact same thing in this one. One scene and he really nailed it where you see Billy Bob and I love this setup where Billy Bob's character is in Miami and behind the bar cutting limes, talking to customers and you think like it's his bar. Then Brian Callen is the bar owner. And he's like, how many times have I told you not to get be at my bar? And, you know, and I thought he's made the most of his screen time there, Josh. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I feel like he's done, you know, like you said, he's a comedian and he, he probably shows up a lot in those small roles in comedies. And I don't know who else, who else you were going to mention, but uh, another comedian, uh, Billy Gardell, who plays the security guard at the beginning of the movie a uh, comedian that Jason has worked with. Before. I worked with him. And at that point, his career, and this is not an insult to me. This is actually a real story here. His career was going so poorly. He was thinking about leaving Hollywood and moving back to Pittsburgh and doing morning radio and, you know, still doing road comedy and everything. And within a year, I think he got Mike and Molly. And that was like, he's like, this is my last shot. And now he's a big uh, star and he's a good actor, Billy Gardell, I think. So Yeah, he's I mean, that's not really much of a part at the beginning of the movie here. The security. Yeah, part, he doesn't have much in this one. Yeah, but I, I definitely it was that was one moment where I was like, oh, hey, that's you know, that's somebody who I recognize and, you know, who will go on to do other things. So uh, who else did you want to mention? Octavia Spencer. Yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Playing Opal, the hooker who says. Hell no, Willie. I ain't going to mess with you. Last time I did, I didn't shit right for a week. Which is, of course, a callback to what he says in the uh, uh, dressing room. When yeah. He's uh, plowing. I'm not sure. Is that meant to be Lauren Graham's character in that? Dressing it's room supposed scene? to be another large woman like that's his, you know, kind of proclivity. Yeah. But it is it is actually Lauren Graham who does the scene with him. From what oh, OK, read. yeah, I was confused by that because you see the legs and it looks like it's not a large woman, I guess yeah. you could say. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but yeah, Octavia Spencer obviously was not, you know, much of us. In fact, she's credited as like Octavia L. Spencer, I think in this movie, which is obviously something she dropped later in her career. But, uh, you know, I think she probably had some affection for it. She actually shows up in the sequel where uh, by that point she was a much bigger star. I'm sure she didn't need to do it, but, uh, you know, probably had fun with that little part. I wanted to mention three things because, like I said, some I found some things so funny that one, okay, I, I, let's talk about this. The redemption arc, which you mentioned earlier, was not in the original, and they and Zweigoff re, refused to shoot any, uh, you know, pickups because he liked his cut. So they brought in Todd Phillips to shoot the redemption arc. Which, oh no, Todd Phillips! Hey, he killed it. He did great because the yeah. the things that he shot on this like are hilarious. One was the advent calendar stuff where you know willie eats the stuff then replaces it you know like that's his version he, he didn't go buy him a new advent calendar he just you know taped it together and put in a candy corn and an aspirin yeah and uh, i thought that was very funny but the real funny funny scene that he did which i laughed out loud again this time is the the boxing scene where willie and marcus are trying to uh teach thurman how to defend himself and and marcus Again, the language doesn't age well. You wouldn't talk to anybody like that now. But as far as ball punching goes, this is some of the best ball punching that there is. And the way that Tony Cox falls and then just kind of wobbles back and forth, like, oh, man, I laughed out loud in this one. That is funny. And I think what's funny about that scene is not just somebody getting punched in the balls, 
but that it just keeps happening. Yeah. Is that the one character and you're like, oh, okay, you got punched in the balls. That's kind of an obvious joke. But then they all get punched in the balls, like in quick succession. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, that that was that was funny. So yeah, I wondered that about the because I know there's a director's cut uh that that Terry's Wygoff put out at one point. So how does that end? Because I haven't seen that. I mean, I think it I don't, I'm guessing it ends the same way, but it's three minutes shorter. And I'm guessing he took out this stuff, you know, because yeah. I haven't but seen I mean, that either. So does Willie, Willie, I mean, because there's a redemption there anyway, you know, the end of the movie is Willie like running from the cops so that he can give Thurman his present. I mean, that's about as redemptive as you get. Right. I think Zweigoff, and I, if any of our listeners have seen it, let me know if I'm wrong. Um, I think Zweigoff thought that was enough. Whereas, you know, the studio needed a little more. So they did those little things, right? Which I thought really worked well. And the boxing scene, Josh, uh, one other thing that's so funny about it is that, you know, again, they're trying to like, you have to defend yourself. You have to defend yourself. And he goes, you know, and Marcus is really saying some nasty stuff. And he goes, well, kid, get mad. Ah, no, get mad. Ah, and he goes, defend yourself, you know, do something. And, and he chooses to, to kick Tony Cox in the balls, right? Like, which comes out of nowhere. And the size difference between a giant kid and a little person is, it all worked for me in that scene. All right. Yeah. I mean, that scene is funny, but I mean, I think it would have been okay not to have that scene. So I guess what we're saying here is like that the redemption arc is earlier than the ending. It's scenes yeah, added it before the to ending it. to give you a sense of Willie kind of warming to the kid. And, you know, that's, that's fair. I think there's, it's not too much, you know, if they added it in, they added in the right amount that it doesn't dilute Willie's character as this, this sort of misanthrope. Uh, I agree. Josh, it also has one of my favorite lines ever in, on film. Be, and I don't think you like it, but I can, I think Dave will like it because it's kind of so out of left field. It almost doesn't make sense. It's like another conversation thing. Like it could be an anti-comedy or, a, you know, kind of like the state stuff that Dave and I like where Willie is talking to Thurman and he goes, it was what I referenced before. And it's like, you know, if I got beat up as a kid, I had to defend myself. I couldn't go crying home to dad. If I went crying home to dad, he would beat me up. Do you, you know, do you know why? And and then Thurman Merman says, because you went to the bathroom on mommy's dishes. That is a very funny line. That is a very <laughs> funny line. And the way he says it with such confidence, like yeah. that's obviously what one what what one gets in trouble for. Yeah. <laughs> and Billy Bob, you know, has the obvious comeback which is like why what the fuck are you talking about right which you know as a writer you're you might be thinking like hey he should say something a little more clever than just what the fuck but that's kind of that character and that, that just yeah. always makes me laugh that is a good line that is a funny line and so that was worth uh adding in there if that was from one of those additional songs. i don't know if it was i just wanted to bring it up oh okay yes well regardless i agree that is that is one of the funniest lines in the movie Hooray! Um, Yay for agreement. So uh, <laughs> do we want to rate this out of uh, five? Uh, I don't know. Some some horrible thing. What, uh, what is your thought? Oh, on that? It has to be a horrible thing. Well, I don't know. That's the, it feels like that goes with the movie. And we could rate it out of five advent calendars or something. Yeah, that's not horrible like enough, that. right? Five punches in the balls. Sure, we can do that. So, there you go. Five All nut right. punches. How many nut punches do you want to give this? It gets three and a half nut punches for me. Three full-on punches to both testicles. And then one more punch where you're only hitting one ball. Wow, that's a very precise 
punch that you have to deliver <laughs> in order to do that properly. Uh, I'm going to give it three out of five. And I still have affection for it. But like I said, I think my enthusiasm has waned over time. But it's still a fun movie. So three out of five for me. Dave? I'm going to give it a three. I, I loved all the stuff with him and the kid. Uh, the rest of it, not as much. But definitely that stuff is hilarious. Yeah, it's 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 there's a lot of funny stuff here. So. Have you guys ever been punched in the balls? Probably. I think yeah, so. No, it's not fun. No. Isn't it really? <laughs> <laughs> Although some people, we we have a friend who uh, got uh, had her wedding officiated by a guy who gets punched or kicked in the balls like professionally. So he uh, did. Yeah, Victoria Ribeiro. Oh, uh, and she just picked like that dude on the strip who like. You pay him a dollar and he get and you can kick him in the balls. It's a guy who was on America's Got Talent and his talent is getting kicked in the balls. Oh. And uh, he uh, their wedding culminated with them kicking him in the balls. There's amazing online. Amazing. Yeah, Shout out to that guy. No, I didn't know that. I do know that. <laughs> I think the guy is like a Vegas street performer out here. Though. So. OK, we can we can cut all this, Dave. <laughs> no, don't cut any of it, Dave. Leave it. No, nah, we need it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, we'll come back in a moment and talk about the legacy of Bad Santa. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year in this season finale of our season on the films of 2003. We're talking about our audience choice poll winner, the Christmas classic, Bad Santa. And the legacy of Bad Santa... I mean, I think we start with Bad Santa 2, which came at the very wrong time. I mean, as we said, this movie was a big hit. And if you're going to make a sequel to this movie, which you should not do anyway, but if you're going to make that, it should be like two years later while you capitalize on the momentum. But it took 13 years to make Bad Santa 2, which came out in 2016, returning Billy Bob Thornton and Tony Cox and Brett Kelly as Thurman Merman, but adult Thurman Merman, not as funny, <laughs> doesn't work. Yeah, I would believe that, but also mentioned different writers, different different director, you know, different yeah. producers, I think, so. Yeah, it was just, it was whoever owned the intellectual property decided we're gonna exploit this, and you know, and it was a flop, it was a huge failure. I think that's what happened, if I don't, if I'm not mistaken, they did want to make the sequel, but the rights were tied up because wasn't this Dimension who released this? In yeah, 2003? It's, the, it's the uh the Weinsteins, you know, the uh paragons of virtue in Hollywood. Right. So, so um, mm. one of their many companies that might have been going under at that time, or Miramax, who knows? So there were some yeah. rights issues. I didn't see it, Josh. And uh you sounds like you're saying I should not see it. No, I saw it and I had to look up my review because I couldn't remember literally anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because like the Marcus, how does the Marcus character get back into it? Even? I mean, he's, jail. you know, it's 13 years later, so he's served his time and he calls up Willie and apologizes and says they're going to pull a new scam and this time they're going to rob like a Christmas charity and it features Kathy Bates as Willie's mom, mm. you know, so if we thought it was funny if Santa was swearing, what if an old lady was also swearing? Yeah, who he never and mentions just, in the first one. No, he doesn't. He mentions his dad, his terrible dad. And I, I was reading on, you know, on Wikipedia, so who knows, but supposedly originally it was going to be his dad and they decided to change it. They thought it would be funnier if it was his mom, uh, who was this kind of degenerate character. It's, I mean, I like Kathy Bates, but it's really not, it's, you know, Kathy Bates hired to do a sort yeah. of imitation of the Billy Bob Thornton character. 
And I remember the plot was very, like, it was too focused on the logistics of heisting and stuff, which, I mean, is in the original, but we don't really care that much about it. It's just enough to keep the plot going. And again, I think the other thing is that it's funny when Thurman Merman is 10 or whatever, and he acts that way. But when he's 25 and he acts that way, it just, it's not right. Yeah, that would be weird. And I know that he, if I'm not mistaken, the Willie and Thurman Merman character were not together in all that time in the story, right? Like, so they're reconnecting also or something like that. Yeah, they, he like, Thurman travels to meet up with him or something. I don't, even after reading my review and the summary, I barely remembered it. Uh, <laughs> I gave it two stars at the time. Yeah. And no, I can't see recommending it. Hey, Josh, you did remind me of something that I don't think works in the original that we didn't talk about, though. Um, At the beginning of the film, Marcus, after they pulled that heist and they get away with it, Marcus says, you're going to drink away all your money and you're going to have nothing. And if I call you and you'll be lucky if I do, then next year you'll be so happy that I'm bringing you back. Right. And then at the end, Marcus is going to murder him. Even though we've already established that Marcus is the brains of the operation and says, if I call you to bring you back. So saying like, maybe I won't bring you back at all. So why doesn't he just be like, cool, you're out and I'm going a different way at that point in time? Right, right. I mean, I guess it's like maybe he's gotten greedy and he doesn't want to split the money with Willie anymore. Um, They never say that. No, no. I mean, that does feel like the kind of thing where it's like, well, we need to up the stakes here in the final act. So we're going to have Marcus turn on him. And that exact same thing happens in Bad Santa 2 is Marcus says, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I've, you, I, I, I regret it. And uh, then they team up again and then he betrays them again. Mm. So, yeah. And is really, Thurman Merman like part of the operation in Bad Santa 2? I don't think so. But he goes to work at the charity, maybe. And Lauren Graham doesn't come back. So they have a new love interest. Christina Hendricks is in it. And I think she works at the charity and she's Willie's new love interest. And uh, again, it's all so forgettable that yeah. I'm struggling to even put this together in my mind. So uh, it's funny when you think about it, like, you know, because that the idea of like, why is always an older leading man, you know, have a love interest who's 30 years younger, like in that case. Right. But then you're like, oh, wait a second. Billy Bob and Angelina Jolie were like a hot and heavy couple that always always were making out in the public eye and in real life and everything. So. Yeah. And I wonder, I mean, I didn't look up, but uh, I don't know. There's not a 30 year age difference between Billy Bob and Lauren Graham. I don't think Billy Bob is one of those guys that looked like an old man from the time he was like 35. There was a you're right. But there was a I think a pretty sizable age difference between him and Angelina Jolie. Right. Well, yeah, probably so. But, um, you know, I feel like it's maybe not as egregious in in this movie as as it often is in in movies like. So, Josh, I'm talking about this Billy Bob comeback. I mean, people like him on Goliath. Right. And I guess. Yeah, I've never watched it. I've never watched it either, Josh. So um, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, it looks like he's got (laughs) two movies in the works from what I could tell. One is like kind of a serious spy movie where he's like a sporting player and the other seemed interesting. He's the first psychiatrist or psychoanalyst in the old west and i'm like oh he could be really good in that role yeah he's done a lot of small like this was i think close to the height of his stardom really and uh as we mentioned because of the success of this movie he played the very similar characters like in bad news bears and school for scoundrels mr woodcock mr woodcock exactly (laughs) none of which are nearly as good as this and you know then he shifted to tv and and I think, you know, he's a guy who's known for being um, 
quirky, let's say, <laughs> as, a, as as his personality. Um, but you know, Goliath is like a ba- is just like a legal drama. I think he's he's gotten, you know, all that's the best he can do. He he can just be in a kind of basic legal drama TV show. He was great on Fargo on the first season of Fargo as uh, the the villain who's really scary. He's so, uh, he he's, can really bring it. I still think he's got great performances left in him. Yeah, I hope so. But he's certainly known for also just being kind of a difficult person as a right. person. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that might affect what he's able and, to. And, and he does a lot of like where we talk about Nicolas Cage and Bruce Willis, you know, just making anything. He's doing a lot of that, too. It's yeah, that's true. He just, you know, to get a paycheck. Um, we talked about Terry Zweigoff joining, a, you know, an important pantheon of directors who've had more than one episode of Awesome Movie Year devoted yeah. to them, along with the likes of uh, Martin Brest, Herbert Ross, Rob Reiner. It's about time for another Rob Reiner one because I feel like he, all these people <laughs> he, are he was he was the only one for a long time, and yeah. now we've added Peter Jackson. But yeah, so we talked about in our episode on Crumb that you know after after this movie, after Bad Santa, Terry Zweigoff made one more film, Art School Confidential, in two thousand six, and then just basically disappeared. Well, didn't he make that movie for Amazon, uh, like Budding? It's not a movie. It was a TV pilot called okay. Budding Prospects, and I actually was going to try to watch it because it was one of those pilots where. When Amazon first started making original series, they would just make pilots and then put them all out for people to watch and you'd like vote and they'd decide what to pick up to series, which they don't do anymore. But so it used to be that all of the ones that didn't go past pilots were still available to watch. And Amazon has actually pulled it. You can't watch it on Amazon Mm, Prime anymore. Interesting. So I don't know if that was any good, but that's all one 30 minute pilot. TV episode is all that he's directed in the past 15 years. What a bummer. I was, uh, when I was reading that oral history, he said, you know, and he was not afraid to like just throw shots at people there, right? Um, right. He said of Bad Santa 2 that he hasn't seen it, but from the previews, Tony Cox looks hilarious in it. The rest, not so promising. <laughs> yeah, and he's right. But I, I don't know. I mean, he he also, I think, maybe got a slightly difficult reputation, but it's hard for me to believe that he couldn't get anything going in all this time. And I don't know what he does. I don't know. We all have mentioned it before in the last one, but go watch Ghost World. Oh yeah, Ghost classic. World is great, and uh, and Crumb, of course, as we talked about. But you know, and, and as we also talked about in our Crumb episode, you know, at the time that he was making that movie, what was it? He was living on like two hundred dollars a month or something, and you know, barely knowing if he was going to be alive. And so I, I kind of wonder if he's, you know, sort of this self destructive artist who isn't willing to compromise, and this is, you know in poverty somewhere or something. I don't know. I don't know either, but uh, he's not busy, but the writers, Glenn Ficarra and John Requa, man, they have, they're like two real Hollywood success stories who you never hear about as like in a writing team or a directing team. We recently mentioned, I love you, Philip Morris as a movie people should watch, but um, these guys keep busy. They work a lot. They do. And in, in a wide range of things that don't seem to have any connection to each other. I mean, I Love You, Philip Morris is uh, also a dark comedy. I think you can see that as sort of a connection to something like Bad Santa. But they do all sorts of mainstream TV directing. And I remember, you know, there was this awful sci-fi show on on Fox called Next with John Slattery that is completely outside the realm of anything else they've done. But boom, they popped up. They directed like the first two episodes of it or something yeah. at random. Well, they they did. Uh, they wrote, I mean, and who didn't write it? But because um, there's so many writers attached. The Jungle Cruise, which should come out this year, was slated to come out last year with The Rock and Emily Blunt, right? 
Yeah, I mean, they 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 are big Hollywood types. I kind of like their movie Focus, the like con artist uh, movie with with Will Smith and Margot Robbie that I think got mixed reviews and didn't really do all that well. But I think that movie is kind of underrated. They are attached to three movies right now, and all three are true stories or the you know biography tales. Pandemonium about Vince McMahon of the WWE. Liars Poker from the Michael Lewis book about a 1980 you know big bond salesman, which sounds kind of like. Wolf of Wall Street style type thing. And then King of the Jungle about John McAfee, who uh, fled the country and Ooh. ran into trouble. There's a documentary on him on Hulu. But uh, all, any of those three could be really interesting or all three could be really let down. <laughs> yeah, who knows? And but like you said, they're they're big Hollywood. You know, they they work on all sorts of big projects, just kind of, I'm sure, whatever they can, uh, you know, get hired to do. And they don't have as much of a distinctive voice but they're very successful so you know yeah. good for them i'm sure they don't they don't care as much about that you know we said tony cox unfortunately hasn't gotten the opportunities that we would have hoped for uh based on this you know he works but in a lot of weird like random not, not much lately things. though yeah not as much lately i mean i think bad santa too was the biggest role that he's had since this so um that's a shame. He's he's very talented. Josh, fun fact about Tony Cox. He lived across the street from me in L.A. in the oh, same wow. building did you, complex. So. Did you ever uh, run into him? I, in the, like, I think uh, I said hi to him once, but I wasn't going to be like, you know, fanboy. I love you a bit, Santa. <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> but no, I, I want to see more Tony Cox still to this day. Yeah, um, I, I like I said, I think he could, you know, he could be in a Coen Brothers movie and, and really do a good job. Of I, it. I was surprised to see that Brett Kelly is acting again. I know he's acted on and off over the years, but he had a like a multi episode arc on Family Law, a show I don't know. But I don't. Yeah, I don't know either. But yeah, I think Bad Santa, too, was, you know, they brought him back after he had kind of gotten out of it as, you know, he was a kid actor and then went away and wasn't acting as an adult. But maybe he's, uh, you know gotten back into it thanks to bad santa too i don't know maybe that restarted and of course lauren graham can currently be seen on the mighty ducks reboot <laughs> game changers on disney plus which yours truly has been watching and she lauren grams it up you know she's awkward and kind of the mom character but you know she's always fighting for her kid but you know you know she's always a little jumpy and out of place and uh she's got a good little rapport with the Gordon Bombay, Emilio Estevez. I smell love in the air on that show. All right. Yeah. I like Lauren Graham. I loved Gilmore Girls. Uh, I think she's always a, an appealing uh, presence on screen. So, uh, you know, we mentioned, sadly, John Ritter and Bernie Mac both passed away, you know, far too young. And, you know, this is a good reminder, this movie, of, of how talented they both were. Yeah. I mean, I want to say, if you've never seen Bernie Mac do stand-up, like, Either go watch that Def Comedy Jam set where he just owns the audience or watch the Kings of Comedy, which kind of the original Kings of Comedy, I guess, uh, which Spike Lee directed, which kind of set off this or reset off this trend of theatrical releases for uh, comedy concert films. And Bernie Mac closes the show and just what a set he has on that one. So, good. yeah, very, very funny. And I, I think he's kind of underrated in the uh, the Oceans movies. The uh, the Steven Soderbergh films. He's a, he's a lot of fun in those. Uh, anything else you want to mention on the legacy of this? Film I mean, both, you're right, Josh. Both those guys could have been working, you know, uh, is if not leads, definitely supporting players and really cool projects. So that's a bummer. Uh, the last thing I wanted to say about it, Josh, was 
In the film version we saw, fuck was said 159 times and shit was said 73 times. Wow, that is close to the 182 times I think they say fucking, is it Scarface that Blink-182 has named themselves after? I don't know why I know that really stupid. I mean, and this is half the length of Scarface. That's true. Yeah, Scarface is very long. So uh, a higher, like, per moment, per minute rate of saying fuck. So, yeah. (laughs) That's where it's good. Let's let's end on that note. That is Bad Santa, and that is this episode and this season of Awesome Movie Year. Check us out on social media. You can check us out on social media. I'm Jason Harris Comedy on Facebook and Instagram, and Jay Harris Comedy on Twitter. My website, Go for Jason, should probably be stolen in a heist and thrown away because nobody would actually want to keep it. Yeah, We're who's going to steal it? It's worthless. I mean, I'm begging someone <laughs> to just take it and fix it for me. So uh, awesomemovieyear.com, still with it about section. Spacejam.com, go fuck yourself. Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. I am at joshbellhateseverything.com. Also probably not worth stealing at joshbellhateseverything on Facebook and at Signal Bleed on Twitter. And you can listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And Jason, uh, what's in our next episode? Well, Josh, like Christmas has its traditions, we at Awesome Movie have our own traditions. And... A tradition at the end of every season, we go and do an epilogue episode. We talk about some of the films we considered that we didn't do, some of the films that we did do we look back on. It's a real, real emotional roller coaster. So come on that journey with us (laughs) in the next episode. And thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.